You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our charity champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. In this episode, from sex trafficking victim to advocate. My boyfriend at the time has now made me pawn all my stuff. He's used all my money. I'm now hooked on drugs. I'm you know, drinking with him. I've, I've been set up into this position of where I'm really dependent on Julia Walsh spent four years as a sex trafficking victim. With the help of charity champion Unbound, she was able to escape. Now she helps other women recognize the warning signs. As with the last episode, this episode contains adult themes. But it's educational because Julia explains the different ways women are coerced into the trafficking lifestyle. So for those who don't know you, can you kind of tell us your first and last name and a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, So my name is Julia Walsh. I grew up basically in the DFW area my whole life, so I'm really familiar with Grapevine, Southlake. Growing up, though, I'm adopted from Russia initially. Oh, wow. Um, It it was really tough growing up and um, trying to adjust to a different country, new family. Um, Just as an infant, it's hard, and both familial-wise and within friends and just different different things that I was involved in as the kids usually are. I had a lot of trauma happen to me too, like PTSD and um, just a lot of emotional turmoil, right, from being put in an orphanage and then being separated from your siblings and your birth mom. All that trauma coupled with um, growing up trauma, it was really hard to deal with. And so my family wasn't really equipped in the way that they probably should have been for adopting kids. And oftentimes that's actually what you'll see in international adoptions is they're so focused on getting their kids adopted that they're not really preparing the parents for what they're really getting. It's not going to be this beautiful story of, oh, we're going to be peacefully living this American life and everyone's going to be, you know, loving it and doing what they need to do. And we're going to be just this perfect family. And so um, it was really a shock for them um, on a cultural level and also just in general on a parenting level to learn the the emotional trauma and the um, symptoms we were bringing with us. They did the best they could, but it was just kind of a, a recipe for disaster for me. And so growing up um, and leading up into college, I really didn't have any friends by this point. I was completely isolated. I was really depressed. Um, I even started like thinking about killing myself. I was suicidal. Like at 14, I mean, when you're a 14 year old kid and you're self harming and using drugs and and suicidal, I mean, that's really an indication that there's some real issues um, that are underlying and need to be uh, worked through. When I moved to college, my mindset was not, oh, I'm going to go further my education. This is going to be awesome, right? It was nothing um, like that. It was more about I'm going to get away from the turmoil at home and I'm going to get out of this toxic life I've been stuck in and it's going to be fantastic. Like I am going to get that American happiness, the American dream that, you know, often is sold to people and it didn't happen like that at all. Um, I had 
not been equipped maybe necessarily in the way I should have been in terms of relational aspects. So I was looking for the wrong types of relationships. I didn't have the positive, healthy relationships to compare it to. So for me, domestic violence is completely normal or yelling, control, all those things were normal for me. So I fell into that cycle when I was in college within not even a first semester. Had I don't think I even was in college for a whole semester. Um, that's just how rapid once I got out of my family's house that I just started spiraling downward. And so one thing led to another. I got into a relationship, and that relationship turned into domestic violence. And ultimately, that is kind of what was the tilting point for me to be trafficked for the next four years. So, you know, when you're being trafficked, it's it's really hard to identify yourself as a victim. Um, in fact, I find, and, 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 you know, do remember that what I'm saying is just one of thousands upon thousands of experiences and stories. So um, I might say one thing that was working for me or maybe my perception or feelings about something, but somebody could have it in a completely different viewpoint, and that's totally normal and acceptable and expected. So, um, but for me personally, you know, I really didn't identify myself as a victim. And that wasn't just because I had walked into agreeing to be in a relationship when I first met my trafficker. I've, I've actually had four traffickers in my, my period. And so the first one was, again, through that relationship. And then from there, that was kind of the doorway to um, how that all began. But I, I think also, too, we have these um, labels that society puts on us. We kind of tend to, and, I, and it's just human nature, but as a society in whole, we, we tend to kind of downplay or maybe label things that we're afraid to understand or just don't understand, or maybe we're too overwhelmed to think, oh, well, that's just horrible or that's just weird. So instead of trying to deal with it, I'm just going to avoid it or maybe just deny it. And so coupling all that with the fact that here I am, this typical kind of classic scenario of, okay, this girl, young, 18-year-old at college, campus, living the life, drinking, partying, gets into this relationship. He's obviously with someone who has healthy boundaries and a healthy kind of foundation to kind of make judgment calls on. Obviously, they would think this is not probably a a wise choice in relational matches. But, you know, for me and for a lot of us here in this, we're not seeing it that way because, again, we don't have anything positive to compare it to. We're being judged by society as a whole. So that's making us feel more responsible and more shame and more guilt. And so we're really not seeing ourselves as what the common belief of what a victim looks like or is supposed to act or say, you know, all those things. So that's kind of one of the issues. But another one, too, is that when we call ourselves victims, that means that we're having to basically accept that we weren't in control of something. And then oftentimes, because when you're coupling that with, again, the labels or anything that we're already having to kind of work through, we feel as if, or at least I felt as if, again, I had asked for it maybe or or um, I had kind of put myself there. And so therefore, as a direct result, I'm jumping to the conclusion that I'm asking to be in this relationship, right? I caused it. Um, And so I'm not really seeing myself as a victim. And so kind of throughout this whole period, that's something that it's, it's really hard to get society to understand unless they understand what trafficking is, they understand what the cycle of trauma is and abuse. And traffickers, their sole purpose is to exploit your vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and profit from them, right? So whether they're profiting financially through drugs, whatever the means is they're wanting to ultimately get, they're going to exploit your vulnerabilities to do it. You know, a lot of times the things we do are based on wanting to connect with others, maybe meeting our own needs, um, finding love, whatever that looks like. And so for me, Specifically, when I was going off to college, I didn't have any relationships that were healthy. So I was looking for the the ties and the feeling of belonging and for that family, right, that I was still kind of seeking out. I didn't at the time have a 
technically a home because now I have failed out of all my classes. So I know I'm getting kicked off campus soon because there's no housing. There's no point. I've just failed all my classes. I have no money because my boyfriend at the time has now made me pawn all my stuff. He's used all my money. I'm now hooked on drugs. I'm, you know, drinking with him. I've, I've been set up into this position of where I'm really dependent on him. He was able to watch me. He kind of got to know me, relate with me on a level of, oh, I've actually had a really rough childhood too. Let me tell you about some things. And then once he's gained me on a relational kind of connecting level, then I'm sold, right? So and then I'm like, oh, well, somebody, thank God, somebody who can relate to me. And then from there, I kind of start to build trust with him. And as he kind of continues to build the rapport, then that's when the domestic violence happens and then the trafficking. It's just really interesting because when we're in the life, we're not really understanding that. We're not seeing it. I mean, somebody from the outside can see, even if they don't know what trafficking is, they know something's going on and it's not healthy and probably intervention of some sort is needed, but we're not really seeing that. And so um, I just try to remind people that are in the life that if you're being treated a certain way that's not anything but in a loving, caring manner, then even if it's not trafficking, it's important to to really try to look outside of that and recognize the signs. And I think just ultimately to know that now that awareness is spreading and people are becoming more aware because, again, my story happened in 2010, right? So 2010 to 2014, nobody was really talking much about trafficking. My family didn't even know what trafficking was other than it's, you know, some international problem, but it doesn't happen here in America. Are you kidding me? And in Grapevine, we're, we're not living in like the slums or anything. We're not seeing homeless people walking all over the place. We're not seeing that classic kind of degradation, you know, like we are in a very nice kind of middle class society. And so they didn't know to, and I didn't know as a kid being sheltered too, what to look for. And so I think all that plays into what, what victims and what we need ultimately is just for people to be aware because it's really hard to ask someone to step outside of themselves and be like hey help me when one again we don't recognize that we need help but two we don't even know how to ask for help because there's so much isolation there's so much intimidation there's so many threats there's so much physical abuse all these different types of control that are being put on us to to kind of keep us from saying help we need help so just when I when I do stuff like this it's more just so that victims understand that just to kind of help them to plant some thoughts into their mind about maybe this isn't normal or maybe this isn't okay but also to know that overall people are becoming aware of what trafficking is now so I think that's what's amazing because that's ultimately what got me rescued and I was in it for four years the average life of someone who's in trafficking is about seven years and after seven years of being trafficked, you're either dying because of maybe an overdose, maybe some type of drug use, some type of medical situation, whether that's an illness you um, were exposed to, or maybe lack of care in general, maybe you got a cold and turned into pneumonia, whatever that looks like, or maybe somebody who is wanting to purchase services from you is really violent, um, or so they kill you, or your trafficker kills you. I mean, there's so many different scenarios that that looks like. Maybe they kill themselves because they just can't take it anymore, but the average lifespan is about seven years. So I was already over halfway into that. That's really the only way I was rescued. If, if Unbound and other people hadn't known what to look for and known that we were truly victims and how to address that, then I would never have gotten out. I can tell you that now. I would never have said, oh, please help me. You know, I would still be in it. When did it change from 
a bad relationship into trafficking? And then Mm -hmm. what does that look like? My story is interesting in the sense that I've had four traffickers. The first two were the boyfriending type. So for example, my first one, again, met him in college. We started dating. It turned into domestic violence. We ended up moving cities to his hometown because he didn't have any connections there. I didn't have any connections there. I wasn't talking to my family at this time. And so his dad really supported him and really enabled a lot of his issues, quite honestly, reflecting back on that. He wanted him to come home, start over. You know, you can stay here. We'll get you back on your feet. This is not the end of the world. Yeah, you flunked out of college, but that's okay. We've got you, right? So that was kind of the mindset. What my boyfriend at the time did was he convinced his dad that, hey, you know, she is my girlfriend. I love her. I want her to come move with me. And so he ended up um, having conversation with his dad. And then he comes back to me and tells me, oh, well, my dad is so thrilled for you to come move with us. He's going to help you. He's going to get you on your feet. And, and again, that was him trying to reach me in that level of need that I was having because I didn't have a family connection at this time. So I'm really on my own. And so trying to fill that void that I had been missing and that kind of fatherly element of, hey, I'm going to get you on your feet. It's okay. We care about you and and you're part of our family, right? We moved there and it turned out that his dad didn't even know who I was, didn't want me there. He had a lot of conflict and familial issues within his own family. So there were a lot of unhealthy and abusive dynamics within that before I was even in the picture. His dad and then couple that with, again, my boyfriend's issues, that just became a complete mess. It ended up where we were able to stay there for a while, then we got kicked out, and it just kind of the cycle continued over and over until eventually we didn't have any money. The drug addiction was so intense that we were basically homeless, had no money. I mean, we were basically at rock bottom. And so at that point, um, I think with the, the pressures of his family and then the pressures, again, of the drug addiction and all these different aspects within this problem, it was to the point where all he could do was start trafficking me. And so he ended up taking me to an abandoned apartment where a bunch of his friends were staying. And he basically just dumped me off there. And that's when I was trafficked for a couple of weeks. That happened. And so that's kind of how I fell into that scenario. There are other scenarios like... The way I got to my second trafficker is that he didn't start out as my boyfriend like my first one did. He started out as, I'm going to play the knight in shining armor. And that's pretty typical in most trafficking situations when they're trying to finesse someone. They're going to try to be that shining armor in whatever capacity they need to. For him, he played as my friend because we were you know, using drugs. And so everybody kind of knows everybody in this whole little circle. We're in the same city, a couple neighborhoods down. So he kind of knew what was going on. And so he had, when we were using drugs or hanging out, he would see how my boyfriend would treat me and how he would beat me up and do all these things. And so he would kind of play in the background as, oh, I see this. I care about you. I'm so sorry. That's so messed up. He shouldn't treat you like that. And so he kind of played like he cared about me and liked me. So this went on for a while. But I, of course, wasn't going to you know, pursue that or anything because if my boyfriend found out, then that was just going to be a problem. And I was going to have to probably get beat up or something. It was not going to be a good situation. So I never really publicized that. Later on, when he comes and he lets me stay in his apartment. He's like, hey, you can stay here. I'm going to get you on your feet. You're going to get physically better. Once you're kind of back to kind of your normal self, you can go get a job. You can stay here as long as you need to and figure out what you want to do and and kind of just that general scenario. And then that's when, as time went on and I did get there, then he started expecting that 
oh, you have to have sex with me now. Oh, you, you know, all your money is mine. You know, everything was automatically his. That was kind of more in a sense of you owe me, right? So I got you to the situation. I'm protecting you from him, and so now you owe me. That went on, um, domestic violence. And I think in his mind, we were in a relationship. And so to me, it's like survival. And also, I'm like, great, we're dating. Awesome. Let's just, you know, whatever. This is normal to me, right? I'm still not seeing that this is not, this is not normal. It eventually ended up where some of the people also in the circle were gang affiliated because I, I mean I'm in San Antonio it's, there's gangs all over the place we ended up where he would send me out to go get drugs for him and so that's where I ended up getting gang trafficked and so it kind of just you know it's a cycle you you get in it and then you just get you fall deeper and deeper I mean the stories just go on and on so that's kind of what it looks like in the sense of befriending and boyfriending and friending and whatever you want to call it my third trafficker was a little different in a sense that it was online dating and I stress this story because nowadays I'm hearing so much about online dating. And I, I mean, I, I used to do online dating even after I was rescued. Um, I've kind of just slowly decided, nah, I think I'm going <laughs> to pass on that. Not even on the danger level, just the, okay, please. <laughs> there are too many fish in this this plenty of fish sea. So I'm like, okay, I, I'm moving on. I need something a little better than fish. But um, <laughs> I ended up meeting this guy, my friend who was in San Antonio. I would stay with her. Like I had an emergency key, so if I ever needed to get a Way or hide from my boyfriend at the time, whatever that looked like, I was able to go there. Initially, when I had gotten away from my second trafficker, who was the guy who was, you know, getting drugs for and all this stuff, I ended up having to call 911 one night because we were in my apartment. So we had moved from his apartment to my apartment because now we had had enough money. We were able to get out. He was getting kicked out. We had the money. And so we ended up getting my apartment. But he was on the lease because, right, again, I owe him. So he's now on the lease. So what's mine is his. And so this went on, called 911, they end up filing a report, but again, we're on the lease, so it's not much we can do about this in terms of he's not allowed to come back in. And so um, he was just so high and drunk and on heroin and, you know, all these other drugs and stuff. So ended up where I was able to go with my friend. And so that's kind of where that seeking shelter piece kind of continually came in. So I knew that if something happened, I was always able to go there. So when I moved back to DFW from all this, I'm finally able to get out. I've still got him calling me. I've still got him looking for me. I've still got my first boyfriend who, you know, we're all kind of in the same vicinity of San Antonio. So it's not going to be a surprise if we end up seeing one another on the street somewhere, right? So ended up moving back to DFW, got my own place, and then that's when the online started. So just a little background context. My friend's like, oh, you should try this site called tag.com. It's going to be amazing. You know, you really need to get back out there. You see, You have your own place you're back to par you're normal now go for it and I'm like well why not I mean I'm still not seeing that what I've been through is trafficking or what I've been through is really abuse I'm not really thinking that that like actual level I'm just thinking of oh that was horrible it was not fun it was miserable but that's okay because life's a little bit better now right and so I end up meeting this guy and that's where he ends up he ends up raping me and then I'm pregnant by him so now I'm I'm pregnant by my trafficker and, and one thing that I, I stress to people is that not every trafficker is going to be that romantic boyfriending type too some of them are what we call gorilla pimps and so they're more about like forcefully making women to sell themselves like it's all about physical force and threats and intimidations. It's less about the coercion and the sweet talk. And so at that point, he was just, I mean, he he basically was like, well, you know, your mind not right. I mean, that's the whole context of what he kind of ran his operations on. And so after that, basically, I was 
kidnapped for probably about, I don't know, it's a couple weeks and trafficked out of a downtown bar in Arlington. And so this time I'm still working a job at Whataburger. So I've still got what I've, I've considered to be like some element of a normal life. But um, over time, as I'm being trafficked out of this bar, and then I always have someone with me so that I'm not going where I can't say anything, I can't reach out for help. He ended up making me quit my job. And so from there, that's when I, I just went off the map. Um, nobody knew what had happened to me, where I was, what was going on. And of course, pull the society's labeling back in and they're not understanding what trafficking is or anything. They're thinking I'm just going crazy, doing my thing, just living life and being a little little too wild with the independence and all that stuff. Ends up where a trick gets me out of this and a trick, I'm not sure if, if y'all are familiar, but it's someone who's um, wanting to purchase services from an individual. And so a trick actually knows my trafficker somehow. I wasn't sure I really wanted to know that, but he uh, ended up being able to get me out. It was kind of like an LMN Lifetime Movie Network movie, quite frankly. He, you know, was setting up these dates and creating an escape plan for me. And I mean, it's just elaborate orchestration. And he ended up helping me get out. But the thing is, I had to move to another city in the middle of the night without telling my family, who again, live in DFW, and I was living right next to them in Euless. So this was a really big deal. It wasn't just like I was in some other city and had been missing. Like I had just been able to forge some type of relationship with my family. I ended up having to leave in the middle of the night. And what's even worse about this is that it was on Mother's Day. Yeah. Um, my parents had just flown back from out of vacation and to find out that I had left and I'm going to another city. So it was really tough, but I had to do that in my mind because my trafficker knows where my family lives because he has my ID, he has my driver's license, he has all this stuff. In my mind, that's the only choice I had. Fast forward, get out of that relationship, and well, it's not really a relationship, I get out of that trafficking situation. And then the fourth one now is that I didn't know I was pregnant at the time, but a couple of weeks later, I'm finding out, oh, I'm pregnant um, by my trafficker. And again, even as someone in this situation and I know that it's not to me it's not abnormal but I'm also not wanting even my friend who I was really close to to know what happened so I'm like oh yeah this is just great we just hooked up one night it was awesome but you know I don't think that's really for me and I wasn't really telling her what had happened either and so um, she was encouraging me to get abortion I mean it was just all these different dramatic elements to be like packed on to just the the actual incident so you know I, I personally didn't believe in that I was like no I'm not really into that I'm gonna I'm gonna just try to do what I can with this and make the best of it well then she ends up moving to their state to meet another a guy that she meets online who had also ended up contacting me and wanting to traffic me right so it's like this crazy you see the dynamics and like everything seems to somehow fall into the next downward spiral and somebody it's connected with somebody, and it's just it's this long, drawn-out web that once you're in, it's really hard to get out of, um, especially if you're not realizing you're a victim. You don't have the resources there or the community or the support or anybody really aware of what's going on to help you get out. And so where she moves, and I had... I, there was like some deal where you get a cheaper bus ticket or something, so you got to wait a couple days instead of going the day you purchased a ticket. I mean, it was some some logistical thing there. So I'm waiting at the bus stop at San Antonio, and I had done the bus system before. I mean, it's not like we had cars. We were walking where we went, but I'd never been on this side of the city, so I wasn't familiar with the routes or the buses, and it's, you know, in the 90s or 100-degree weather. It's in the middle of summer. You know, here I am pregnant. I have no food now. I've gone days without eating. Her apartment is abandoned now because she can't pay the rent, so there's no electricity. There's no running water, right? So there's all these different struggles just on a survival, like a very rudimentary 
elementary level. So I, I was just desperate. I'm like, man, I got to get food somewhere. I'm going to change the mailing address. We're about to leave. Like, I'm just focused on the, the next step to get me through the day, right? And so that's so when my trafficker pulls up. And this is another common way of how it happens is that your trafficker is going around looking for these kind of vulnerable populations. And those people look like they're stranded or lost, or maybe it's the kid who's run away. Um, those, they're definitely vulnerable, you know, because they don't know where they are. They don't have any connections. And they already know that based on the way they present themselves at the bus stop or whatever it looks like. And so for me, he drove by. And at first I was like, oh, no, because I was, you know, reflecting back on what happened previously. I'm like, oh, I'm not getting in the car again. That's just not happening. But then ultimately it came down to survival. And so um, get in the car and it still wasn't presenting itself as trafficking because to me, he's dressed up like any other guy was. And I'm used to being around drug dealers and all these different crowds. So I'm still not thinking, oh, he could be trafficking me or something. You know, I'm just thinking, oh, he's normal. And I had friends that were, you know, in the drug trafficking world, and they, they were cool. I mean, it, it's kind of weird to explain um, in, to someone who maybe hasn't ever been exposed or is not really aware of the criminal elements and levels, but, you know, it's definitely there. You may not see it or know about it, but it's there. I mean, crime happens. You would have different people within these different criminal industries that they're involved in where they definitely have their boundaries. Like, for example, you might have someone who's selling drugs, but they're never going to go. They would never sell a human being, right? So they have their different boundary lines. And so to me, I wasn't thinking like, oh, he's just going to go and traffic me too. You know, I'm thinking, oh, he's just cool. We're friends, whatever. He does his thing. I do mine. Well, turns out he gets me the food. He meets those basic needs I have. And he, he ends up basically giving me his numbers to say, call me. Well, I didn't call him for a couple of weeks. I was still hanging out at the thing. I think it was like the day before I'm supposed to head out to the to a new state with my friend to meet her. My trafficker, my second trafficker finds me and moves himself into the apartment. So now I'm stuck in this yet again. You see the cycle where it's going. But now because I'm pregnant, I have more to think about than just myself. I got to think about my daughter, right? So I'm not I'm not really caring about anything other than I just got to get away from him safely. And I don't care what he does. I don't care what, what he keeps, doesn't keep. I've just got to make sure that physically he's not going to hurt me. And so that's when my last trafficker comes in the picture. says, oh, I'll put you up in a hotel. He comes, he, he gets me away from him and then that's when the next day he's like oh I've got to run some errands and so from there he takes me and that becomes trafficking it was just like the cycle like you can't get out you try so hard and you think you're living a normal life right and and you're not and and that's what's scary is once you're trafficked once you're you're so like vulnerable to being trafficked again so that's kind of the different elements for how you know how traffickers will try to traffic you or, or try to manipulate you or coerce you and so I just try to share my story in that sense because people that are in it even if they can't literally make that connection that they're they're being trafficked or maybe they are in love with someone they can at least see similarities within my story to maybe help start that kind of kind of thought process you know how did you finally get out of that world interesting question because multiple times i had interacted with law enforcement hospitals on the outside perspective you think that if i'm interacting with someone i'm going to get help like immediately right maybe with day one day two i could have been out within the first hour maybe of coming into contact with someone but because of the lack of 
awareness and all these different things, I was constantly coming in and out with people and not trusting them because they're not helping me or they're judging me, they're labeling me or they're criminalizing me. Or maybe they're involved with my trafficker in some type of level of, you know, corruption or whatever that looks like, right? Because my fourth trafficker had law enforcement in his family. I mean, it was a lot of different elements. I'm not saying that every trafficking story here, oh, there's going to be law enforcement involved or something. It's not like that, but there's different elements. And then even aside from your trafficker, in the world itself of these people that are purchasing sex from you, like you have all sorts of people. And we live in a world that, let's face it, we have corruption, right, in our different systems. I had attorneys and doctors and police officers. I mean, does that mean every police officer is going to be involved? No, but I mean, there were definitely elements. And so from a survival standpoint, we're not trusting anybody with the badge or anybody who's a doctor. We ended up going in and out of criminal systems a lot, and um, that's, again, because your trafficker might be forcing you to do something, or just for survival, you have to go and steal. Like, maybe you need to go steal necessities from Target or somewhere. Like, or maybe he's like, well, you haven't made enough of your quota that day, whether that's 1000 1500 500 whatever your total is you have to make for that day. If he wants more money, then he might go send you out to rob a place. I mean, there's so many different aspects within trafficking. That's why a lot of us have criminal histories when we come out. It's not because we voluntarily said, oh, I think I'm going to go rob a store today. Today, or I think I'm going to go prostitute myself today. It's because our trafficker is forcing us to do these things. The way that plays all into how I res- was rescued is because it was a sting operation. We do these things called in-calls and out-calls. An ad might be posted on Backpage. Backpage is predominantly what I was trafficked off of. So we might have a, an ad that says something like, oh, come to this hotel or wherever we're at. And so the person who's wanting to buy those services is going to meet, meet us wherever we are. And that's an in-call. An out-call is when we're going to meet the person wherever they they are wherever their location has been designated. What we were doing, because my trafficker had been like trafficking people for over 20 years, this is not like some new thing he decided to try. He was really, really knowledgeable within this field of what he was doing um, in terms of like who's safe, who's not safe with law enforcement, you know, are they an undercover, whatever that looked like. We would have them send pictures before we would go and see the person. And I, I saw this picture, and I knew, I just had to, so I'm like, man, I think this is an undercover, but I didn't want to say anything. At this point, you know, it's been like four years. I, I do not care at this point what happens. You know, I had lost everything possible. Um, I had no relationships. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into details about it here, but, you know, my, my daughter ends up, and, you know, I end up losing her. I mean, it's a whole, like, mess of things. So I, I'm at my, my last wood's end. And so I'm like, okay, well, we're just going to go to this. I'm going to pretend like I don't know. We're going to get arrested, and life is going to just, you know, the cards are going to fall wherever they fall. So that's how I got rescued. It was myself, another girl, my trafficker. He drives us to the hotel on an outcall, and that's when we got arrested. The turning point here and how this actually went from being, you know, like, oh, great, we're getting arrested, yet again, we're being criminalized, to a blessing and us truly being helped out of this is that the law enforcement there knew what trafficking was. They already knew we were being trafficked. Um, they knew we were victims, and they really started with a victim-centered approach, and they were collaborating with their organization in Lubbock, Voice of Hope, that was kind of already on standby. They knew they had that silent partnership and knew that if someone was getting arrested for prostitution, they're going to try and meet with us if we're willing to. And so that kind of started the path of us you know, getting most of our charges dropped, and we were able to, to finally start getting the help we needed and the resources and so voice of hope because I had a charge stemming from Waco once I was good 
to go from Lubbock when I was in Waco jail, that's when Unbound heard about me and started really um, plugging in. And so Waco is where I, I, I predominantly got a lot of my fundamental like in, initial needs met. And so from there, it was just, it was amazing. And I mean, it wasn't a, a quick process. None of us who were rescued him like, oh, thank God we're rescued, you know, or yes, this is a good positive thing. Even if you came to us and said, oh, you are out, you are free, don't ever have to see your trafficker again. We're not going to look at that as positive. We're going to be thinking from a survival standpoint of what do you really want from us? What are you really trying to get? You know, did our trafficker send you? And it sounds paranoid, but it's just within the life we've been living. Like our traffickers are not stupid. They're going to test us and, and make sure that they're reinforcing what we should and shouldn't be saying. So there's a lot of underlying elements that people don't realize outside of just the hard and plain, you know, simple, this is this person, she was trafficked, this is what happened, right? So all those elements came into play and in how I was able to finally get rescued and finally and bound was able to meet a lot of my needs and that's you know one of the reasons why I'm here today. You said this started in 2010 and Mm -hmm. you were in it about four years so that means you've been out for about four years. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. Yes. I just was thinking when you were talking earlier about how girls usually don't notice they don't recognize that they're the victims Mm -hmm. they think oh I'm responsible I got myself into this right and so I thought back then I said oh I I want to ask you, what would you say if there are girls listening to this mm-hmm. that go, you know what, that's, I mean, that's me. Like my boyfriend's beating me up. I'm being trafficked. And I'd love for you to give just a real simple definition mm-hmm. of what does that mean being trafficked? What, sure. Like, because if there are girls out there that are like, I don't even know that I'm being trafficked, how would mm-hmm. you define that? And then what would you say to them? Like if they think, you know, I want to get out of this, but I can't call mom. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to ask you, I'm a mom of five and I wanted to go, oh, why didn't you call mom? Mm-hmm. You know, but if girls don't have that kind of relationship with their mom, what mm-hmm. would you tell them to do if they realize I, I need help? I've been right. beat up too much. I think I'm being trafficked. Mm-hmm. So the first challenge is when you're being trafficked again, you're, you're not thinking in terms of, I need help. You're thinking, oh, well, I'm getting my needs met. Like, this is what I want. And it's, it's almost like a, I, I don't know the exact science explanation, so I, I'm not going to try to touch on most of that other than to say trauma rewires our brains differently. Mm-hmm. And so we're not thinking in terms of, let me make logical decisions and think about the future needs. We're thinking about the immediate survival now. So what are my immediate desires? And so for us, having those voids filled is what we're, we're seeking. And so I think when people like, you know, I've had some of my friends even within that are, you know, in this life and some of them are out, some of them are still in it, but some of them can relate. And they're like, yeah, this is happening. And I see what you're saying, but it's still really hard for them because they're still emotionally attached. It's called trauma bonding. When you're exposed to this level of trauma and you're consistently getting your needs met, even if it's from the most abusive, negative ways, you're going to go back to that because that's what you're needing in your context of surviving. It's just like drug addiction. You know, if someone's chemically addicted to drugs, they're going to go back to whoever it is that has their supply. And so same concept. So I would just say in terms of how to reach out, it's tough because why I didn't reach out to my family specifically is because we we had a very toxic relationship. Like there was a lot of of hostility, a lot of brokenness within our own relational, like our family system. Like we didn't have a family system. What we had was a survival, like that was it. There was no family unit in terms of, oh, we are just, we love each other. We support each other. We're there for each other. We're 
where we trust one another. Like there was none of that. It was very much a, a violent kind of volatile atmosphere. And so um, that was one reason why. All, but also because um, within trafficking and, and specifically my story, I, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone because we all have different stories, but was threatening my family. Like when you're being trafficked, it's, it, you know, you, you think of the movie taken with mm-hmm. Liam Neeson and stuff and you see like them physically bound and they're literally hooked to heroin and all this other stuff. And, you know, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. It does. And we've had cases here. I mean, it exists and it's real, but more often than not, you're you're not going to see what's really keeping us in trafficking. So it goes back to like the threats, threat of harming your family, threats. And they're very real. I mean, I I have seen in uh, firsthand, like they don't, these are not just open-ended threats. A lot of times they will carry it out, even if it's just within harming you, or maybe you're pregnant, or maybe you already have kids and they're holding your kids. And so people aren't seeing these different, you know, kind of behind the scenes threats that are happening, or maybe they're not legally here in our country. Well, that's a major issue because they already know one false move. And while they're getting deported or whatever that looks like. So a lot of different problems that are created within someone trying to even reach out for help. If they reach out for help and they're not getting the help and getting out because either they, the person they're reaching out to doesn't know how to help them, they're not aware, they're not believing them, whatever the reason is, it's really dangerous for us to reach out in a lot of ways because if we're not getting out when we ask for help, then we're having to face our traffickers who are now finding out that we've tried to reach out. And it puts mm-hmm. us and whoever we love or whatever is going on in a lot more danger. So mm-hmm. um, that, that's why I didn't reach out to my family. Also because a lot of times we're being monitored. Like, you know, I, I, I would call my parents and couldn't have a real conversation with them because I'm being monitored with my trafficker on the phone saying, hey, you got to say this or don't say that or just hang up or whatever that looked like. If you could just answer the question, what would you tell a girl mm-hmm. that said, okay, I do want help? I mean, you know, I'd say a lot of things. I think hold on to hope. Don't give up on that. Um, really cling on to that because awareness is such a key thing right now. I mean, people are very aware. It's, it's being displayed on the news a lot. I mean, we are not just walking around being clueless about trafficking. A lot of us are educated on that. Trying to reach out if it's safe. I mean, definitely number one is making sure that you're you're protecting yourself and what you need. But, um, you know, if there's a way you could slip a note or um, call the hotline or call an organization or call someone that you trust, just trying to reach out to someone and and um, just trusting that we're going to, whoever it is that's getting that is going to be able to coordinate with whether it's a nonprofit, whoever it is, like Inbound maybe or law enforcement or whatever that looks like to really try to get them out. But um, just really not to give up hope because if you're able to reach out in any capacity to, to the right person then then there is hope and you can get out because I mean look at me and I have a lot of survivor friends that are now survivor leaders and do just the same thing as I do and we don't have enough of them so we need more (laughs) but ultimately that's the goal just helping victims get freed and then Mm -hmm. becoming survivors and maintaining that survivorship. What is it exactly that uh, Unbound did to, to help you? First of all, they didn't go in there telling me what I needed. They didn't tell me what I needed. They didn't tell me that I did this wrong and this was my fault. They didn't go in there trying to to kind of sugarcoat things like, oh, we are so sorry, you know, and treating me like a puppy that's, you know, just been hurt. Like, Mm -hmm. they really just came at me on a genuine level just from a personal connection and just listened and, and kind of met me where I was, you know, and said, hey, 
This is who we are. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're not law enforcement. We're not here to pressure you into making any decisions. We just want you to know that we're here. We care about you. And here are some options if you want to take that step and seek them. And that's ultimately kind of the foundation of what what they offered. And, and, and relational, you know, we again, we, we've not had any positive relationships. We don't trust people. We're looking at you from a survival standpoint. Like we are sizing you up. We are trying to find the flaws. We are tearing everything down you say all to protect ourselves. Okay, and did you do that with them? Oh, yeah. So it started with me because of Lubbock. I did. I, I was like, nope. I reached out initially when they're like, hey, it seems like you don't want to be here. Law enforcement's like, hey, let's get you some resources. You're a victim. Do you want out? And initially I said yes, but then I shut down because, again, it goes back to my fight or flight response. I'm thinking survival. So I initially reached out, but then like, nope, nope, nope. That, I shouldn't have done that. And so it was a process, and it takes time. And so um, – kind of through Lubbock and then with Lubbock helping me kind of transition to Unbound and Waco and then Unbound helping me transition to the next the next okay, thing. Okay, but, but you said that uh, you were sizing up Unbound. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so, and, and something happened evidently. What what happened? Yes. Ultimately what happened is that they just, the consistency, they came at me not telling me what to do, so that was the first thing. I'm sizing the, them up and, and maybe I should clarify what I mean by that. So that that is me taking everything that you say, trying to pick it apart in a sense of what are you really wanting from me? What is your motivation? Who are you working with behind the scenes that I may not be seeing? Like you're talking to me, but I know I am sitting in jail right now. So who's really behind the cameras? I'm thinking of all these different things, right? And so I'm I'm just kind of listening and I, I know that Unbound, they asked me like, what do you need right now? You know, they met my needs and that was amazing, but I think ultimately it came down to consistency. I think that's really what did it for me and broke that wall because okay. they're o- always there. Over what period of time did this happen? This was over, I'm not really clear because I was in jail. I'm not clear like when Unbound was contacted, but sometime between that time frame of I'd say about four months or so, five months, they were then contacted. And then from there, I think it was pretty consistent. Like sometimes I'd have contact with them on a weekly basis, daily basis, whatever I was needing, they were there. Okay. So were you in jail the whole time? Up until when I met Unbound when, or after? Yeah. When you got to Waco, you were in jail to start with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. The entire time you were dealing with Waco, were you in jail? No. So Unbound eventually, once they kind of got that rapport and trust with me, and then they had to, again, work with law enforcement too. So it's not just dealing with victims. Unbound has to work with law enforcement and, and whoever else may not know about them and and partner with them and show them that they're victims and need help. And so Unbound um, helped me get to Redeemed Ministries, which is a safe house. It, it wasn't just some perfectly smooth transition. Like I had an ankle monitor on. It was a process. I wasn't just completely free of all charges, but they helped um, really paint a, a light for them. Okay, so when Unbound did that for you mm-hmm. and you went to Redeemed Ministries, mm-hmm. had you bought in at that time and say, this is, this is real? Yes. When I, with Unbound, I bought into them. I didn't buy into Redeem because I didn't know Redeem, right? Okay, okay. So I'm trusting, I'm going to Redeem, trusting that Unbound is at some degree, I'm still not 100% like, oh, I love you guys, but y'all you still, But you me. still thought they might have an angle. Yes. I still thought they had an angle, (laughs) you know, and and that really didn't go away until ultimately after I finished the program I redeemed and and, and realized. It's a breakdown in trust. You've been had your trust broken so many times with so many people, even when someone good comes into your life, Mm -hmm. you have to look at it with, well, what what do they want from me now? Right. I mean, exactly. And, and, you know, I I know you asked you, like, when did it stop? But honestly, I can't even say there's really a clear cut defining moment. I think it was, again, I, I just 
I guess consistency. I can't think of a better way to describe okay. it. Okay. Do, do you think you still have a problem trusting even to today? With certain scenarios and people, yes. So Unbound, obviously, I fully trust 100%. People yeah. that I've consistently been working with now, I trust. If you're walking up to me and I don't know you, though, or I <laughs> only know you a little bit, I don't trust you at all. Like, I can be really friendly with you. We can hang out. We can be friends on that level. But I'm not trusting you until you give me a reason to trust you. Can you just tick off some characteristics mm -hmm. for the girls that are listening who are being trafficked? Not an explanation. Mm -hmm. I just want a list of things that you would identify for them that they are being trafficked. You don't have your own money. You don't have uh, maybe your own phone, or if you do, it's being constantly monitored. Maybe you don't have your own identification, or if you do, again, it's constantly being handed over to uh, your boyfriend or whoever's with you. Your boyfriend's always keeping tabs on you or really controlling or jealous, just that typical kind of behavior. He's asking you to keep secrets from people maybe that should be loving and trusting that may not be normal. He's asking you to do things that are not normal, like, again, going to prostitute or going to sell drugs, whatever that looks like. Asking you to move away with him or saying he loves you and that nobody cares about you but me. Maybe it is him saying he loves you, but he needs this from you, like trying to, okay. to guilt trip you. Well, stuff. from the outside looking in, it mm -hmm. would seem to me that the biggie, the elephant in the room, mm -hmm. is that other people are paying him to have sex with you. Oh, absolutely. I okay. mean, that's, yeah, absolutely. If you're having to sell yourself, even if you're getting money or not, that's, there's a problem because he's profiting from you. And so that's trafficking. The definition of trafficking in the most basic form is somebody profiting, like exploiting you. And, you know, you've got labor trafficking, but we're focusing more on sex trafficking. Someone who's sexually exploiting you through some sexual act, whether that's sex or anything, and it's profiting from you, whether it's drugs, money, anything like that, and, and forcing you to do this, whether that's through fraud, coercion, anything like that. Okay. So do you believe today that you were a victim then? that you were being victimized? Yes. Okay, when mm -hmm. did you start believing that and why? I started believing that when I finished the Redeemed program because I'd had a year to kind of heal, to work through my own traumas and really see it at a different angle. And then I think also, too, when my charges were dropped because I still had charges pending on me from, you know, trafficking charges and other elements that had been hanging over my head. So you, I could, you know, find the most healing and all this other stuff. But if I've still got charges, that's telling me I'm a criminal. So being able to get those dropped and um, have my background worked on getting expunged, all these different outside elements really helped with that too. Okay, so what is it that you begin to see that caused you to believe you were a victim? I, I would say ultimately it was just people supporting me and me being able to see the community that's forming to really provide my needs and knowing that if I make mistakes, it's okay. And so just that process, learning that you can be a victim and still make mistakes. I think that's ultimately what did yeah, it. It sounds like to me, it would be difficult to just convince someone in the abstract that they were in, they were a victim. If you walked up to them and they were in that situation. It sounds like what you're saying is you had to compare what was really normal mm. to what you thought was normal. Mm -hmm. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Yes, it would. I, I think ultimately, when you're trying to convince somebody who's been trafficked that they're a victim, I think ultimately it comes down to themselves kind of figuring that out. I mean, we can be told things all day long, but if we're not able to kind of just learn what life is supposed to look like just on a healthy level, not a normal necessarily, but just healthy, then we figure that out through time and experience. Yeah. I'm curious about how would you would describe your spiritual journey? That was tough. I grew up in church. My dad is a leader in church, so I'm not a pastor's kid, but essentially pretty close to it. And so 
you know, I always grew up in this Christian environment, and, and I, I believed that God existed. It wasn't like that, but I never really knew God on a personal level. I, I knew it more as an authoritative level. So, like, we have to do what he says, and that's it, like, or we're getting struck down, right? And so when I was trafficked, specifically my last trafficker, he would ref- reference himself to being, like, anointed or being God or doing all these different elements of trying to, again, manipulate you. And so that was really tough for me. And then being trafficked in general, that was like, well, why the hell, for lack of better words, no pun intended, but seriously, like, why the hell am I here and why is this happening to me? And so I, I think just being able to work with Unbound and, and Redeem, specifically that are faith-oriented, and helping them kind of show me in a, in a, in a careful way that that's really not what's normal. They kind of helped to kind of give me the tools I needed to just kind of personally explore that myself. And so now today I'm, I am closer to God than I've ever been. Now do I, am I like, oh, I pray every single day and I read the Bible? No, but it's a process, but I'm definitely closer than I was before. And, I, and I'll tell you too that I think my belief in God, I, I think he got me through a lot of the things I went through. Obviously, I'm not saying every single one of us is a Christian that's trafficked or anything like that, but I, I definitely had moments reflecting back on it where I knew that he was with me, um, and it's really hard to, to, to explain unless you are a Christian maybe or you have some form of religion that you can relate to, but for me, it was like he was with me and getting me through different scenarios, so mm-hmm. that also naturally supported my trying to figure out where I stood there. So I think the biggest thing I'm learning talking to you and other unbound people is that the traditional idea of what human trafficking is, is like somebody who's bound up and they can't leave. But really the bounds are manipulation Mm -hmm. and trying to get into your head and then damaging your self-worth so they can prey on that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm assuming talking about your situation, like you may have a guy who says he really cares for you and he's like, we're on the same page. We're the same person. We both had a rough life. You know, we really need to pay the cell phone bill this year. Mm -hmm. And Brad down the street said, if you go have sex with him, he'll give us money for that. So look out for us. We're a couple. We're a unit. Is that kind of how it goes? Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's hard because, yeah, I mean, everyone's looking for some tangible, like, why don't I see some physical evidence that you're literally being held hostage in this room? And and what's really eye-opening, I think, for, for people when I share my stories that really anybody around you could be a victim of trafficking. You may not even know it. Like, I know it's cliche and probably overused the whole hidden in plain sight phrase, but that's really kind of how it is. And, you know, it could be someone maybe in your school that's being trafficked. It could be someone in your church. I mean, anyone's vulnerable. I mean, as human beings, we're all vulnerable to something. And so if we're being exposed to more vulnerabilities than maybe most people, then we're going to be again, more susceptible to being trafficked and to be preyed upon. So, And so tell me about your work now with Unbound. I love it. Uh, so I'm a survivor leader, so I do a lot of mentoring other victims or people that may just be in the life. Again, they may not identify as victims, but we're just cool. We hang out, we talk, and so I do a lot of mentoring with them. I do kind of working with families as well, just kind of helping them try to navigate these confusing waters and know that, hey, I know it's tough, but here's some resources, just trying to get them some some resources too, because, you know, victims are traumatized, but so are the families. Like, they're also affected by this in really hard ways. And so I work with them too, and I do a lot of trainings and telling kind of what about what trafficking is and um, sharing my story and I'm currently writing a book. That's Excellent. been a long, drawn out process, but... Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah. <laughs> that goes hand in hand with Unbound. And then with Unbound, I'm uh, doing more of like advocacy work. So we might get called by law enforcement or whoever it is. Is, um, maybe a family member has identified their sister or child or somebody has identified themselves as being a trafficking victim 
however that looks, someone's going to reach out to us and we're going to go meet that individual if they're willing to and try to give them the resources just like they did with me. And ultimately it just comes down to building relationships, you know. I don't care if you're still in the life. I mean, I care, but... You know, as long as you know that I'm here and when you're ready or we're able to, you know, get you out, then we're here. And that's really what we're all about. So I love it. Do you think because you were a victim that you can really speak to their pain? Yes. And, you know, I I do emphasize that, you know, again, this is I mean, I can't I don't want to quote a wrong statistic, but they're in the thousands beyond thousands of people that are being trafficked. And, and, you know, my story is just one of so many. And so I can't like say that I know exactly what everybody's going through, but I can definitely relate enough that I hope that it'll reach out and, and really kind of forge that path for awareness for people that are working with us as victims, whether that's in a medical capacity, whatever that looks like. They may not even know we're victims, but if they feel like something's off, knowing how to reach or do some like minor thing that's going to help us, even if it's not going to immediately get us off the streets and then, you know, reaching the victims and just letting them know that they're not alone. And it is possible to survive this. You know, you're not stuck in this forever. I mean, we think we're going to be in it forever, but it's just not true. You can get out. Your work with Unbound, is Mm -hmm. it a paid position? Yes. So um, this is my full-time job. I'm really excited. I just went from part-time to full-time and we have other advocates as well. So we're a team now. It's really amazing. Phenomenal women. And oh, such a blessing. And Stephanie Bird, she's our executive director of the Unbound Fort Worth chapter. And y'all bent Susan with mm-hmm. um, the chapter here. And right. we kind of, as a team, we do the survivor advocacy. We do youth prevention. So we'll go into schools. And it's a curriculum called, I think it's I Empathize. So we go into schools and try to equip kids with the knowledge of how to maybe assess danger. Like, oh, that's maybe not normal. Or learn how to build trust with somebody and know that I can go say to a teacher or counselor, whoever it is in their lives, that maybe this is happening, I need help, or ask for different different things. So we do a lot of equipping schools, and we do professional trainings, just again, sharing the awareness piece to community members. And our ultimate goal is just to mobilize the church and essentially activate communities in what trafficking is and prevention and, and advocacy. If someone wanted to get uh, your group to come mm-hmm. speak to them, how would they get in touch with you? Just give us a call. It's our unbound number. They can call us. So if it's not an emergency and it's more of just a networking or a, hey, can you come do a training, they can call our office number and uh, we can set something up with them. We also we have a hotline now, which is really exciting. So if someone is wanting to be rescued or um, needing out and whatever that looks like, they can call our hotline number. Or if somebody knows of another person being trafficked and they're not able to make that call themselves, they can also call on their behalf and okay. uh, make a report. Can so. someone uh, get the contact information off? Off the Unbound website? Yes, yes. You talked about writing uh, a book. Why, <laughs> yes. why, why do you want to write a book? It's funny that you asked that because this has been a multiple year process. <laughs> I can write, but it's not really my passion necessarily. But my goal is just again to like make it tangible for people that are in the life to be able to read a book. Like I do not want to read a manual that's telling me what trafficking is and how I am assessed and fit into this definition of trafficking victim. That's just never going to happen. I want to be able to reach victims that are still in the life and survivors that are learning to navigate this in a tangible way of here's a story oh I relate to this you know I may go into it thinking I'm not a trafficking victim but if I read the story and I see enough you know common threads here then I could maybe make that conclusion on my own or or at least know at the end of the book there's going to be like resources in terms of like call this number or there's providers call this number have you read a book like the kind of book you're talking about you would you would like to have 
Yes, there's um, some fabulous ones. There's like The Girl Next Door. There's Renting Lacey and The Game. I mean, there's phenomenal books out there that other survivors like myself have written. When I was rescued, I read one book called Ending the Game, and it was just, it was really amazing to me, the similarities in a lot of ways of the story that this individual had been through, and and that really spoke to me. Okay, last question. Do you have some (laughs) big dream that you want to accomplish it could be long term <laughs> it could be whatever i'm okay. just curious yeah so i think ultimately my biggest dream is kind of what i'm already living you know when i was being trafficked i knew that if i ever got out and i'm not saying i thought i was going to get out because i didn't but i just had this thought that if i ever were to in a million years get out i wanted to be able to help other people too that were in this because i knew that going into this i was blessed with a lot of resources that most people don't have when they're trafficked like i had a loving family i did have people that were aware like that were willing to reach out to me i wasn't going back to a family where I didn't have a dad or maybe I'm suffering physical abuse on it. You know, like I had all these things that a lot of people don't have. So I feel like that set me up for a place where I can really reach out more and, and provide more resources and connections. That's kind of my dream. Okay. So are you saying that you had that dream while you were being trafficked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not quite to the detail. All I knew was that if I get out, I want to be able to somehow help other women get out. Too. Well, it sounds like you knew then <laughs> that there that there might be a better life out there. I did because for me, I came from a life where, again, I I wasn't raised in the slums. I I knew there was a life out there in terms of it exists. I just didn't see it as feasible of my being able to get there. But as, you know, it progressed and as I was able to get rescued, that dream Mm. became more of a vision and then it's it's now happening. Well, we we hope that God will use you to accomplish that dream. I hope so, too. Yeah. I think your bigger goal should be get the book and then do (laughs) get a book deal, then get a movie deal. Yes. Yeah, right? Yeah, well, the Unbound Wago chapter is helping with that and God bless them. I mean, they probably are making a story in their own minds about this because it's taken me like over two years to write this. Mm, excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in and telling your story. I think it's really impactful. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And, and we just really appreciate it. And Unbound Fort Worth in general, I know Susan, Stephanie, all of us were really right. blessed. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment and rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org nominate. You can also find more information on this podcast and all Charity Champions at charitychampions.org. And of course, tell all your friends. We'll see you next time.